need and um, more enjoyable, not that this one wasn't, but you get more input out of a small group than you do a large group because of the size of the group and the time element and all of that. So what I'm saying is if you want to lead a small group, if you find you uh, five, six, I'd say at least four, uh, up to about 10 or 12, that's a good size group, uh, just lead a group. You can get your neighbors, you can get your friends, and you can lead an experience and guide group, and you can be the leader. There's a leader guide. Um, if you lead a group, let me know, and I'll buy you a leader guide just to have you lead a group. And just uh, take a group through, just like we have, and your leader guide uh, gives you the instructions, and this is what you need to do, and this, ask this, and ask this, and ask this, and ask this. And it gives, uh, uh, it gives a lot of uh, helps for the leader. So if you want to lead a group, that's great. So the first time I went through, I was looking at my notes today in the original uh, experiencing guide, and we, I had 12 in my, my first group. And so some of those are deceased now. Some of those had led groups. Um, most recently, Mike Norton, he um, went through experiencing guide. We taught at our, here at the church. Then he, he led a group through, and uh, more than likely he'll be leading some groups in his church. Uh, so if you want to lead a group, well, then you've been through it or you're going through it, and you may be behind a little. Don't give up. Just continue to go through it. You might have to leave a page off or a night off. You can go back and pick that up. But right now, uh, Cal said he'd been through it. He finished up. Canaan likes just a little. He'll finish up before Christmas. Um, so we've had others. Uh, Jimmy said he had finished his, and then you had uh, Heath Heatherless told me, uh, this afternoon, he finished his 12 weeks. And so just keep going through. And when you do finish it, let me know because there's some things that I want to do to recognize uh, everybody that's, that's been through it because uh, I know it's, uh, it's been uh, difficult to adjust time and everything to, to cover it. But anyway, just uh, I, I know it's helped you and praying it has, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, let's look to begin with Kyle's led us in a prayer. Let's look uh, on unit 12 on day one. And uh, the scripture verse is let's consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so as you look at that verse and as you think about what you've studied in day one, you can realize how important attending church is, being a part of the body of Christ. It's very important. And often people who are out of church, not part of the body, uh, they don't understand the importance of church. They don't understand what the church is, what the church is, what the church, it, the purpose of the church. But we've learned that the purpose of the church is to assist God in winning a lost world to himself. It's not things that we can dream up as a church to do for God and ask God to bless it in so much as it is to join God in what he's already doing. And so uh, that's what we need to keep in mind, looking around, see where God's working. That's his invitation for us to join him in his work. But returning to God on day one, this is really good, it's important because so many people have walked away from God and they really don't know how to get back. I'm working on a sermon about coming back to God. And so they've walked away from God. Some think, well, they may have lost their salvation. They don't know uh, how to come back to God. And so uh, we have to be careful or we'll find ourselves in that position of walking away from God. And then after we're out of church for a while, not being discipled, then we begin to question our salvation. We begin to say, hey, I must not be saved. When really the problem is they've just walked away from God and they need to come back from God. Look, if you will, on page 250, top of the page. I want to include this tonight. Christians can experience times when they lose their intimacy with God. Even the most zealous Christians can find that their love for God has cooled if they're not careful. The drift away from the Lord can be subtle that you fail to recognize the loss until it becomes severe. Now, when does it usually become severe? When what? 
something happens in your life, it becomes real severe. Then it dawns on you, hey, I'm not close to God. I don't know how to pray. Don't feel like God's answering my prayer. What do I do? I must be lost. Well, so those are serious times in our lives. Before that, we're just, we're just out in the world, running with the world, and all of a sudden we're just hit. Satan just really hits us. And it all, we didn't start out to do that. It, we just we ended up doing that. It's in a subtle way, he says. The scriptures describe some ways you can know whether you're in the right relationship with the Lord or if you have departed. And he's listed some examples of ways that we've departed. And number one there, you no longer hear from God. That's a, that's a sign that you've departed. God's all, he's always at work. He speaks to those that will listen to him. So he's, he's speaking, but after a while, we no longer hear from God. We have ignored God so long and our heart becomes hardened. Our heart becomes hardened and hardened and hardened and hardened and hardened until we don't hear from God anymore. Uh, you lose your joy of your salvation. You, you remember when you were saved and how happy you were when you were saved and you went and you told everybody and invited people to your baptism and all of that. You were so excited. That was the joy of salvation. That's what David prayed. David prayed that the Lord would restore his joy of salvation. So a lot of people today, believers, do not have joy of their salvation. They're so far from God, they cannot rejoice in their salvation. And then you do not produce spiritual fruit. In other words, the Holy Spirit cannot produce spiritual fruit in your life because you're so far away from the Lord. You no longer, well, what was, uh, what was that? Uh, John 15:10. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So what happens is we pull away from the vine, and we're not, and the Lord cannot produce spiritual fruit in our life. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and tenderness. That's not being produced in our life. We've pulled apart from the vine, pulled away from the vine. You and I cannot produce spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit does that, as long as we're connected with the vine. You know, if you pull away from the vine and you wander away, and you go, like we talked about this morning, you wander off over here, and I can find happiness here, or I can find more happiness here, or more happiness, and all of a sudden you've pulled a great distance away from the vine, and you have no happiness, joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and you try to produce that joy. <laughs> And no joy comes. You can't produce joy. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when you pull away from the vine, you have no joy. Okay? And the only way you can have that joy of your salvation, the peace, the happiness, the gentleness, the goodness, the temperance, is stay connected to the vine. That makes sense. So be careful. Don't pull away because you lose your joy and all the fruit of the Spirit love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and temperance and meekness and mercy. Now, what do you replace that with? Not the fruit of the Spirit, it's gone, but you, what's evident in your life then? The works of the flesh, envy and hatred and resentment, bitterness. And so when you're talking with a Christian and they're so mad and they're so fed up and they're bitter and bitter and bitter, What's happened? They pulled away from the vine. You're, you're talking to someone that's pulled away from the vine as a believer. No fruits manifested in their life. It's, it's all flesh, the works of the flesh. And so uh, you, you can't operate, remember, in the spirit and in the flesh at the same time. Uh, it's like mixing oil with gas, or gas, or water with oil. I mean, it just, it don't mix. So you're either tonight operating in the works of the, in the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh, okay? And so that's something good to remember. Return to God, and, um, uh, and He will restore your joy, okay? Um, let me see. 
What's some evidence? You've departed. That's on page 250 there on number one. What can you conclude about your closeness to the Lord? Look at 250 there. Um, uh, using these evidence, number two, using these evidence of intimacy with the Lord. What can you conclude about your closeness to the Lord today? A little self-examination. I may have begun to drift away. Thank the Lord, my closeness to God is growing deeper. I'm farther away than I thought. Or some other evidence in your life that you've walked away from the Lord. Prayerfully, you're closer to Him. You're closer to God and you're growing deeper in your walk with God just by going through experiencing God. And so you're thinking, what's coming up next, Brother Sammy? And you have this desire to, to know more and to learn more. Remember, Kyle reminds us from time to time that discipleship is not information as much as it is what? Transformation. So discipleship is, is not informational as much as it should be transformational transforms our life you know you eat a little drink a little and you just want more and more and more and um, uh, and so as you're fed experiencing God you're wondering well what's going to be next what can we do next brother Sammy and so Jason has a study coming up and you'll grow just a little more in the Lord uh, in that okay now uh, look at number four on page 251 Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 14, it's on the right column of your page there. If I shut up the sky so there's no rain, or if I command the grasshoppers to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on, uh, on my people, and my people who hear my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. So you recognize the verse 14, but verse 13 tells what God can do or will do to bring us back to him. So when God brings judgment on his people, what four things should they do? Well, humble ourselves, pray, seek his presence, and repent. That's what we should be doing when we sense God's judgment coming upon uh, coming upon his people, okay? Now look down at number five on page uh, 251. If you find that your heart's not enthusiastic and devoted to God, as it once was, take a moment and pray, confess your sin, and return to him now so that you can experience his presence returning to your life. If you've not departed from God, pray about your commitment to remain steadfast and true to Him. Confessing and returning to the Lord are good, but prevention is even better. Scripture gives much helpful counsel for keeping your heart from departing from God. And so if you feel like you're departing from God, uh, then you need to pray, confess, ask God to help you as you return to Him. Or if you've not departed from God, uh, pray, Thank God for your relationship that you have with him. And then renew that commitment to, to remain steadfast in your commitment to him. Because everything in, uh, in, the, in the world is, uh, is, is fighting for our time, fighting for uh, to be uh, number one priority in our life. So we have to be very careful to keep our priority with God first. And so we need to do that. Brother Philip. Good. 
That's good counsel. I was talking to Canaan a few minutes ago, and I said, what's one thing you learned from this? And he said, well, it makes you think. Makes you think. So it makes you think. And you, don't, and you want to take time to think. You don't want to just rush through it. And, and, I, and that happens, you know. This is, and it happens with me. You know, Lord, I've got to be ready with the sermon and Wednesday night and have that finished by Sunday to give a review. And I'm rushing through. Go back through and just sit down. I took my old Experiencing God material and just sat down and compared it with this and and basically, it's the same, uh, it's worded a little different in places, but basically what uh, Henry Blackerby's, uh, what Richard Blackerby did is just took his dad's material and, uh, and just rewrote it, basically the same, but in uh, uh, unit 11 and 12, especially 12, where it deals with couples. I was talking with Corey about this tonight, and, and uh, you know, uh, we have singles, we have a, a youth. Um, Cannon said, well, I really didn't need that chapter to about four or five years from now, perhaps, you know. And, and so, but, and Cory brought up a good point, and she said, well, the family has virtually been destroyed, and we need information on how we can save the family with spouses, and, and so that, that's good. And it caused me to think uh, how much closer uh, that I need to be with Judy in regards to spiritual things and in the same way with uh, her with me. But uh, so the book changed in, in unit 11 and 12 from the, from the uh, original. And so, but basically that was, that was it. And so, but it was, I think it was a needed change uh, based, on our, uh, based on our society today. So, um, uh, so anyway, main thing, if you've drifted from God, come back to God, begin to return to God, and, and realize, John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the, that's the devil. Uh, he's got his sights on, on you and on me. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said that I've come, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So he wants us to have an abundant life right now. He wants to help us with our issues, our problems, problems with our family, problems with our spouse, problems with economics, whatever. He wants us to have an abundant life here on earth. Then when we die, have an eternal life with him in heaven. But in order to have that abundant life, we have to stay connected to the vine. And so uh, just remember, go, like Philip, go back through it. Take your time and go back through it. You might write, you probably write longer answers. I know when, I've, when I go back and go through something, I change things around. And uh, so, but anyway, now with that, with all that said, Kyle, do we have a video uh, tonight? Let's look at this video just for a moment, and I'm going to end with couple of more uh, things that we want to try to get in before it times up. When I was raising my children, I was like a lot of Christian parents. I wanted to teach my children that God loved them, that God had a wonderful plan for their life. And things were going well as they were preschoolers and growing up. But at one point I had three teenage children. And uh, my middle child, Daniel, my second son, he went through a period when he was a teenager where all of a sudden he suffered extreme insomnia. He couldn't sleep. On a good night for him, if he dozed off around four o'clock in the morning, that was considered a good night. 
There were times he would go 72 hours without sleeping. And of course, this was just wearing him out. It was psychologically just so uh, difficult to try to cope with this and then get up and go to school and do homework and so on throughout the day. And I was trying to do everything I could as a parent to help him. I was praying for him. We were taking him to doctors, trying different kinds of medications. Nothing seemed to work. And, uh, and i just be honest with you, I was concerned that uh, my son that I had taught uh, to believe in God, to believe in prayer, uh, would perhaps begin to wonder, well, who is this God that doesn't seem to even care whether I sleep at night or not? One night it got to the very worst that it had been. And Daniel once again was up all night wide awake and uh, it got to be three o'clock in the morning and he realized this was gonna be another all nighter. He wasn't anywhere near going to sleep, but he just couldn't take it anymore. And he cried out to God and said, God, do you, do you know what I'm going through? Do you care about me? Do you love me? Um, I just have to know that you're out there, that you exist, that you want to help me. And there was silence, nothing happened. Well, a day or so later, he got a letter in the mail and it was a letter from a girl in the youth group and uh, that she had uh, apparently awakened in the middle of the night, burdened about Daniel. And it was so late, she couldn't reach out to him at that point. She assumed he uh, was asleep. And so she had pulled out some stationery and written a little note. And she had just written to say, Daniel, God put you on my heart. And he just, I just felt I had to tell you that he does love you and he cares about what you're going through and you can trust him. And she put the scripture from Matthew 11:28 about come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well, when he got that letter, everything that he had asked God in his prayer uh, the night or two before was answered in that letter. And he was so thrilled, he ran all the way to the girl's house. She lived in our neighborhood. And, and he asked her, he said, when, when did you write this letter? And she told him the night, it was the same night that he cried out to God. And he said, well, did, did you happen to notice what time it was? And she said, it was three o'clock in the morning. That's why I thought you'd, even you could be asleep at that point. And so in that moment, my son realized that even as he was crying out to God in the middle of the night, saying, God, do you care? God was waking up a teenager in his youth group just around the block and saying, take this down. You need to write this note and send it to Daniel. Well, that was wonderful, except Daniel's sleep didn't get any better. And uh, he continued to struggle day after day, night after night. And then uh, a couple of months later, it was uh, the summer. And our church youth group would always go to a, a youth encampment every year along with other church groups. And uh, we sent a large contingent that year. And on about the Tuesday evening of that week, our youth pastor uh, gathered all the youth together and he said, listen, uh, I'm kind of, I'm concerned about some things going on here. I just like to kind of hear from you. And uh, this was a good youth pastor. We'd had a great youth ministry for years, but there were some problems that year. Some people had gotten into some drugs and other problems that we had not really seen before. And he's concerned. And so he's trying to get them to open up and share. And uh, nobody seems all that inclined to say anything. So finally, Daniel speaks up and says, well, you all know what I'm going through. He said, uh, I, I can't sleep. I prayed and asked God to help me. It, nothing seems to be improving. I just can't understand why a loving God would let me suffer this much. Well, a, a girl raises her hand. She's around 14 or so. She's in the youth group. Daniel doesn't know her very well. But uh, she said, uh, can, I, can I speak to that? She said, uh, I've been going through the worst year of my life. My parents divorced. My mother remarried. Uh, I've got some stepbrothers and sisters who moved into my house. She got moved into another bedroom to accommodate all the incoming children. And she said, I just felt like there was no place for me. And she said, uh, my mom was too busy for me. I rarely saw my dad. And she said, I just, I just was trying to find someone who cared about me. And she said, I made some bad choices and friends and different things. And she said, I went to a party one night and I, I came home late, late that night, and I just was so embarrassed about what I'd done. Uh, I call myself a Christian, but I was humiliated. And she realized that the next day when she went to school, she said, I knew everybody would be talking about what I had done, and it would be the worst day of my life. She said, as I sat there in front of my computer in my bedroom late that night, I thought to myself, I'd rather die than have to face tomorrow. She said, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, it seemed as if a dark, evil presence just filled my bedroom. 
And she said, I began to get graphic images uh, invading my mind of exactly how I could take my life. I knew exactly what to do. And I felt almost as if something was, was overpowering my will to force me, to move me toward taking my life. And she said, I was so scared. I, I tried to cry out to my mother just to try to get someone to help me. But she said, uh, I, I couldn't even speak. I was so immobilized. But she said, I was sitting in front of the computer. And uh, she said, I looked on my social media and she said, there was only one of my friends that was still logged in. She said it was, it was Daniel Blackaby. And she said, uh, I didn't know Daniel that well, but I, I reached out to him and said, Daniel, are you awake? And almost right away, an answer came back saying, yes, I'm awake, I'm always awake. What's going on with you? And she began to share her terrifying journey that she was on that night and how desperate she was for someone to help her. Well, she lived not far from where we live, and they agreed to, to meet under a lamp post and just to talk and to walk around the block together. They met under the lamp post, began walking, and they just kept walking around and talking and sharing their journeys together of when things are confusing and don't make sense and God may seem far away and yet just to hold on to God nonetheless. And Daniel said that night, listen, I'll, I'll hold on to God with you and help you get through. She said about the seventh time around, the sun began to rise and she said, I knew I'd be all right. And she looked to that whole youth group and said, I don't think I'd be alive today if Daniel had been asleep that night. Another boy began to share a similar story where he also was literally planning to take his life that very night. But uh, at the last moment, he thought he would just like to talk to one other human being before he did. And the only human being he thought that would be awake that night, late that night would be uh, Daniel. He called him. Sure enough, Daniel was awake. And Daniel began to suspect something was up. Said, listen, meet me for breakfast. We need to talk about this. And that boy decided not to take his life as well. I'll never forget going to church and picking my kids up from youth camp that summer. And when I saw Daniel, Daniel had this look on his face uh, and, and he just said, Dad, all this time I thought God just didn't love me, that he somehow was punishing me, that he didn't care about me. But he said, this week I realized that God was actually using my life. He said, Dad, there's people alive today because of what I went through. God did some of the greatest work he'd ever done in my son's life. While I'm praying, God, just give my son a night's sleep. God was saying, I'm trying to save lives with your son right now. And I'll tell you what, it, it blew me away when I realized that God was at work through my family, through my kids. There's a wonderful story in Luke chapter one where uh, an angel comes to Zechariah it says, I'm going to do a fantastic work through your wife, Elizabeth. I'm going to give her a child in her old age. And uh, he's going to be a great forerunner, uh, ultimately, as we know, to the Messiah. Zachariah can't believe it. It's like, do you know my wife? Do you know how old she is? That's impossible. And of course, Zachariah ends up being made mute uh, for a while till his son John is born because he didn't believe. Isn't it amazing to think that uh, while God wants to work in your life, He also is actively at work in your family, uh, in your business, in your neighborhood, in your church. Uh, in Mark chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus said to His disciples, Have, having eyes, can you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And what He was saying is, we, we are spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. Are you not recognizing what's taking place right in your midst? I wanna just encourage you that, uh, that as you've gone through this study, you don't want to just become aware of what God's doing in your life. You also need to be aware of what God is doing in the lives of your family members, your spouse if you're married, your children and uh, your colleagues at work. One of the most exciting things that I've been able to do over the years in my life has been to watch God work in the lives of my children. I remember when my son Mike, my oldest son, uh, was graduating from high school. And I said, Mike, what do you think God has for your life next? Well, I had watched Mike and I had seen him leading and I had a sense of some things God might be wanting to do in his life, but, um, but I wanted to hear it from him. I didn't want to tell him God's will. I wanted just to ask, what are you hearing from God yourself? And I'll never forget Mike's response was, well, I feel like God might want me to go to college, but I don't think I'm smart enough to go to college. <laughs> I would say, Mike, you are. And we worked that through and eventually he made it through university. 
as he's about to graduate, I said, well, Mike, what do you think God's doing now in your life? And, uh, well, I feel like maybe God wants me to go to seminary, but I'm, I don't know if I, I'm smart enough to do master's work. And I, again, as his father, I'm saying, well, I know that you are, but, uh, and I began to encourage him. Well, ultimately he got his master's degree at seminary. And then I said, well, Mike, now what do you think God wants you to do? And at a certain point after he entered into some ministry, he said, well, I, I, this is crazy, but I, I feel like God might want me to get a PhD, but, but I, I'd never be smart enough to get a PhD. And again, we had that little discussion. And uh, ultimately he earned a PhD in apologetics, became a pastor, and, uh, and what a joy to be able to be doing this video uh, with him today and through this whole series. And you've been blessed by him. Aren't you glad that uh, God was at work in his life? And I watched him progress. Uh, and, I, and, and it's so exciting when you see God's activity in other people's lives. Whether you go to work, I work with business leaders who, who look around and they say, I think I, I'm sensing why God put me in this job, in this company, with these employees. It's because God wants to use me to join him in what he's doing in my employees' life. And, uh, and, and my customers' lives. You'll begin to realize that everywhere you look, God is at work. So open your spiritual eyes, open your spiritual ears, and pay close attention. And you may just discover that God is working in the people all around you. Well, Mike, we finished a journey here of 12 sessions, looking at how to experience God, and of course, when you experience God, it's always uh, for a purpose. God comes and invites you to join him in his work, his eternal purposes. And we looked in this session at the fact that God will invite you to be involved in what he's doing in your own life, but also in your, the life of your spouse, if you have one, your kids, if you have them, the people you work with, people around you. And if you're gonna be aware of God's activity, you've got to also have your spiritual eyes and ears open to what he's doing in the lives of people around you. And I know uh, both of us as, uh, as people who are married with wives, we have, um, we've also have the obligation, I think, and the privilege of watching to see how God's at work in our wives' life. Yeah, you know, I remember right near the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, everything got shut down for us as a church. Uh, everybody was, uh, was told to stay in their homes, uh, not to go out to these public things uh, like church services and everything else. And as a pastor of a new church plant, I remember thinking everything I thought I knew about how to be a pastor, I don't know how to do anymore in this context. And I remember just watching God have this spark of creativity in my wife during that time. And at a time when I didn't know what to do, all of a sudden she started having these amazing ideas. And I remember one time in particular, she had the idea of just baking bread for people in our church. Homemade bread doesn't get much better than that. Heavenly. <laughs> and she was gonna just bake some bread and drop it off on people's doorsteps just as a way to encourage them. The problem was that all the stores were out of flour. Uh, everyone had purged the flour of all these stores. And so, so she had this idea, but didn't know how to do it. And, and uh, then she got a text from our next door neighbor who was not a Christian, who said, hey, I went to go buy flour like I normally do. Uh, normally I get the 10 bag, uh, 10 pound bag of flour, but all they had left were the 20 pound bags. And so I don't need that much flour. Uh, would you guys, could you use some flour? And uh, my wife had just been praying about that. She said, absolutely. And so she got that flour, baked that bread. And that just turned into the first of many creative ideas of things that she did uh, during that pandemic time to bless our people at a time when I had no idea what to do. Hmm. You know, I've been called into ministry. I've been a pastor, a speaker for many years. I relate to pastors all the time. I've written books. But uh, some of the greatest works that God has done has not been through this professional minister, but through my family, my children. And I remember uh, there was a time when uh, we were gonna minister to the local student director who did ministry to the local university. So we invited his family to come and join us. And he had a, a daughter named Tina that was uh, about eight years old. And we had a daughter, Carrie, who was six at the time. And so we decided to put the two girls over at a little table all by themselves uh, while the rest of the adults were at the big table. And so we're eating and visiting and, and having fun. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, just kind of in a silent moment when no one is talking, our little six-year-old uh, daughter, your sister, just says, Tina, are you a Christian? 
And I mean, out of the blue, like Carrie's not, you know, not really that type of confront, confrontational kind of person. But there's this awkward pause. Tina, of course, her parents are both in wonderful Christians and are in Christian ministry. But Tina looks at her mom and says, well, mom, am I a Christian? And her mom says, well, Tina, I don't know that you've ever made that decision yet, but we can talk about it later tonight when we get home. That night they talk together and they get down by their bedside and they pray and Tina becomes a Christian. So Tina the next day goes to a Bible study, a home group in her pastor's house. And the pastor's got a seven-year-old daughter as well, Kelly. And so when, she, when Tina sees Kelly, she runs up to Kelly and says, Kelly, guess what I did last night? I became a Christian. And Kelly, who's the pastor's daughter, looks at her mother and says, Mom, am I a Christian? And her mom says, well, you're, you know, you, you've grown up in the church and the faith, but I don't know that you've ever actually made that public decision and that specific decision, but we can talk about it when everything's done tonight. And that night they met with their daughter and she prayed to become a Christian. Well, on Sunday, uh, those two young girls come forward to the pastor and they, pronounce, they announce before the whole church that they become Christians, they want to be baptized. Well, there's a little girl named Amy, who's about a year older than them, sitting in the congregation, and she's smitten by this because she's a Christian, but she's never been baptized. And she's been too afraid to do that. But now these two friends of hers, a year younger than her, are both standing boldly for Christ, and she realizes she needs to do the same thing. So she comes forward and responds and says, well, I want to do that as well. Well, then some adults who are hearing these kids getting right with God, they start to say, well, but we've got decisions we need to make. Some are saying, I've not been baptized. And, uh, and a revival breaks out in that church. The next week I was meeting with Tina and Kelly's dad for breakfast. And as soon as I got to the restaurant, sat down in the booth with them, both of them together said, your six-year-old daughter, Carrie, God has used her to bring revival to our church. Now, I had preached in that church before. <laughs> <laughs> revival didn't happen then. <laughs> no, God couldn't use my sermon to bring revival. Uh, he didn't do that, but then he turned around and used a simple question over me, a dinner with a six-year-old girl to bring revival to a church. And so I've just learned that with God, all things are possible. And if I really want to be involved in God's activity, and if I want to raise my kids to grow up, uh, to, to recognize God's activity as well, then I've got to teach them and I've got to respond myself to what God's doing in their life. Yeah, it's amazing to see God working in and through our families and our relatives. But you know, some of you guys might not have uh, a husband or a wife or kids or family around you, but that doesn't mean that God's not at work in the lives of the people that are around your life. And sometimes that means the workplace. Mike, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of business leaders over the years. I, I do discipleship with uh, executives who are Christians, and it's just amazing the way God is using them. They'll say, well, I thought that God did his work in the church and that with the pastor and the paid staff, maybe on the weekends and the worship services. But uh, what I'm seeing is most of the action I'm seeing in the kingdom of God is not happening in the church on the weekends. It's happening in the workplace during the week. And God's people are going out to their workplace, uh, to wherever they are at school or wherever else they, they do life. And that's where the action is. And they're realizing, well, maybe this is why God gave me the, these employees to work with, or this colleague in the cubicle next to me. Uh, and all kinds of amazing stories are happening where we're seeing God use his um, believers in the workplace to be salt and light and uh, to help people know how they can experience God as well. But we're glad that uh, you've joined us in this journey. And uh, it's not just about so that you can experience God alone in private. Experiencing God is about reorienting your life to the activity of God all around you. And as you begin to see where God's at work, you'll be swept up as well into God's eternal purposes for people all around you. And you have the most amazing life that you could imagine. And so open your spiritual eyes, open your spiritual ears, and pay particular attention to what God is doing in the lives of people right around you. So God's at work around us, not only around us, but around those that we come in contact with, around our family members, and also around those that are in our communities, or perhaps he just mentioned 
those, uh, those executives, how God was working in their life. And so he's at work. We just have to slow down and look around and see what, uh, what God's doing in and around our lives. I have some questions I want to ask you. Let's volunteer, and, and uh, nobody's in here but us. So let me ask you, what's your, what, is your, what do you feel like your greatest spiritual challenge is right now? What's a challenge for you spiritually right now? Anybody? We all have them. You mind sharing one? Okay. Brenda? I'm sorry, Brenda? Witnessing. Okay. I understand that. That's a challenge to a lot of people. Witnessing? Okay. Challenge to, to make sure you're watching, being observant. Okay. Anybody else? What's the challenge? Mine's time. I'm working on a sermon on time right now. But uh, time, trying to find time to, to, to spend quality time, quality time uh, in, my, in my prayer time. Not just sermon preparation, but devotional time, prayer time. Okay? Anybody else? A challenge. Consistency. Consistency. That's good. Challenge to be consistent, Brother Philip. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Anybody else? A challenge, Brother Terry. That's good. A challenge to talk to people that he really doesn't want to talk to about Jesus. That's good. Hmm, maybe somebody else talk to that person, but I just I don't I don't want to talk to them right now. Okay, that's good. Thank you for your honesty. I love you. Anything else? A challenge you're going through. The past, dealing, trying to deal with the past. Okay, that's a challenge. Devil keeps wanting to remind us of that. Anybody else? Okay. Um, and these are just some questions. It's not in any book or anything. But what would be the most meaningful thing uh, in your experiencing God group? That's all of us. What would be the most meaningful thing that your experiencing God group could pray in regards to your spiritual growth? All right. Now I have, we've had some to share. Anybody want to add anything to it? You go, what could we pray with you about? Brenda said witnessing. Deb, the past. Being observant, Kim. Philip, being Kyle, being consistent. Terry, uh, witnessing to those regardless who they might be. Anybody else want to add a prayer request? Fear? Yeah.
verbal toward cars instead of away. That's good. has a lot to do with what you were talking about to be addressed to be able to talk with someone in a way that uh, you don't anger them or they don't anger you and and that's that because you love the person and you want to you want them to listen you want to be able to, to you know why can't you see this don't you understand this I'm trying to help you and you and you have to be you know we talked to a Bible study here recently about about words, you know, and uh, asking God to give us wisdom. Remember that? Asking God to give us the words we need. Uh, asking God to tell us, you know, to, to give us those words, if you remember, where we won't say anything stupid. And we talked about that on Wednesday night. And so that, and so we need to, we need to pray for, we need to pray for each other, and those that are shared tonight, but we need to pray for all of us that uh, whatever spiritual challenge we have in our life, that, that God, would, God would help us. Let me uh, suggest to you one thing we could do is find a prayer partner, someone that we could confide in, someone that we know would be praying with us. And if we're going to that person and say, hey, I'm going to be meeting with my family Christmas Day. I need your prayers, or I'm, I'm going to meet with this person and just pray that uh, God will speak to my heart in regards to my temperament and the words I use. So we need to call on each other. That's what we're here for as a body in order to pray for each other. And uh, during those uh, critical times in our lives, and I'm praying, some of you have shared with me, and I'm praying for you and what you're going through. But we need to, that's, that's one purpose for the body is to pray for each other. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. And so it's uh, confidential. It needs to be confidential. And so we need to remember that. Um, up to this point, what is the most helpful topic that benefited you in experiencing God? Anything that you studied, anything that God spoke to you about, what, what's something that you said, hey, if I didn't learn anything else, it helped me to understand this. Anybody? Brother Jimmy?
church, regardless if we agree with them or not. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess that would be a challenge sometimes to us. But uh, really love making sure we uh, speak to people. We love people where they're at in their spiritual walk. Mm -hmm. Everybody's not on the same page. Right. Okay. Anybody else? Brother favorite things and experiencing God's helped me, really helped me uh, in my own personal life and in pastoring the church is the spiritual markers. Did y'all get anything out of the spiritual markers? Did you write your spiritual markers down? Could you see, could you see how God was leading you and all of a sudden maybe you veered from your, from the way he was leading you and you came back? You know, anybody testimony on spiritual markers? Yeah, go ahead, son. Anybody else? Let me ask you, where do you think Kyle mentioned in his own personal life? Now, where, what God is doing? What's God doing in your life? Have you picked up anything? Kyle was sensing God leading him to go back to school. What about you? What's God, what do you sense God leading you perhaps to do? Or uh, what's he saying to you? Uh, Anybody? I think someone mentioned that God felt like Kim. I think God was God was speaking to you about uh, being obedient and uh, uh, relying on Him. And so, what's what's God leading you? How's He speaking to you? Amen. Thank you, Philip. And, and that's what I was reading with Henry Blackerby. He was praying about retiring, and he didn't know what he and his wife would do, what he would do, what she was praying about, what he was praying about. But yet they've been in ministry all their life, and 
I mean, was he going to go join a country club? Remember reading that? Going to go join a country club? Well, that, didn't, that wasn't what he wanted to do. But, you know, if God wanted him to join a country club, he would. But instead, God just changed direction of his ministry. He's still in ministry, but he started speaking, started writing material. And so he, he maintained some type of ministry. Wasn't pastor of church, wasn't director of missions. And so, but was willing to do God and my prayers, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, and, you know, tell me where you want me to go. What do you want me to do, Lord? And that's, that's been my prayer for years. And so, uh, uh, and, and I believe that, and I always, I've said this, uh, when Judah and I first started out together in ministry, um, 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 we, we stepped out on faith. I mean, it, I look back at that, and I've always said, looking back and starting out the way we did, leaving a job, leaving security, stepping out on faith, doing what I felt like God was leading us to do, and then God began to just to lead and guide and direct and uh, see him work in so many ways. It was all about faith, stepping out in faith. And so I've always said, uh, regardless how you know your age, you can't look, really look at your age because, uh, you know, Abraham was 100 years old when he really started his ministry. And so the uh, way I look at it, I've got about, uh, what, 29 more years to go before I even start my ministry. But seriously, I pray, I've always prayed that I'd have enough faith, I'd have as much, excuse me, I'd have as much faith at the end, toward the end. I want to finish well. You want to finish well? Man, maybe we started wrong, but we don't have to end wrong. We can finish well, and I want to finish well, and, and I want to have as much faith at the end, dependent upon God, as I had at the beginning, being dependent upon God. Okay? I'm not, I don't want to depend on the church. I don't want to depend on myself or other. I want to be totally dependent upon God as I was uh, as we were when we first started. And that's, that's what I, if I can do that, I can, I can finish well. So that's what I'm, I'm praying about and pray with me about that. Well, you've done great. You really have. Uh, we're going to, as we, as we end tonight, uh, just continue. Wherever you are in your book, continue. Come up to me and say, Brother Sammy, I finished. Uh, tonight, what do we have here tonight? Cal, did you count? 25? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Gave out 78 books. 78 books. No, 70, 79 books. A couple of them were not from our church. But 78 books, and I made a statement, if we could have 25 people, at least 25, that will go through this, 25 people, if 25 or more, or if we had 10, just think what it'd do in those 10 lives and in the life of our church. And so I'm excited, I'm so excited. It's money well spent. Uh, there's, there's no price that we could put on what it's going to do for your life individually and for my life individually. And already has. And so let's just keep going through it. Don't be discouraged. Don't let the devil try to rob your joy and, and steal uh, what God would have you to know from your mind in this. And so uh, continue on. And then... God may lead you to lead a small group in your home, five or six people, and take them through experiencing God. And, and then it, it becomes so much personal when you have a smaller group. Really, you can hold hands and pray and, and all that. It's really neat. But I thank God for, this, uh, for these 12 weeks. Okay, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're dismissed. Thank you for hanging around. Well, Father, I come to you, and I thank you for this night. I pray for each person here. And, Lord, they didn't have to be here tonight, but they came. They made a commitment to you. And, Lord, they're, they're on their way. They may have not finished right now, but they're going to. And, Lord, you're going to bless them 
for it. You're speaking to them. You're, you're showing where you're working in and around them. You're inviting them. And, and they're going to have to make some adjustments, Lord. Uh, they, you've spoken to, you, to them, to us through your Holy Spirit, through your word, through prayer, through circumstances. And Lord, when we hear we've got to make those adjustments, Kyle had to make them in regards to starting back to school. And so, Lord, help us. Those are difficult times when we have to make those adjustments. But, Lord, we know in order to experience your will, we have to make those adjustments. Step out in faith, and, Lord, we'll experience you in fullness. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And thank you how you're using this group already as they've reached out to others, perhaps some unknowingly to other people. And God, that's exciting to know that from this group here that you've already touched the lives of other people who are listening, who are watching, who are going online, listening, and then uh, seeking your will for their life. And so just take us, use us, disciple us, help us to replicate, help us to disciple others, Father. And Lord, as we build the kingdom together, I pray for each of those prayer requests that were made tonight, those challenges, we all have them. And so, Father, help us. God, help us. We have nobody that can help us if you don't help us. And so help us, God, I pray. Show me, show me, lead me. Lead me and guide me, Lord, is my prayer. Be with us as we're dismissed tonight. Thank you for our church family. Help us to continue to love each other. Reach out to other people. Help us, Lord, to realize that our neighbor is not who we live next to or who we live, who we live by, but those who we pass by. And so help us to look for those who are needing you now. Give us the words to say, the freedom to say them. Well, thank you, Lord, for loving us through your son, Jesus. A child was born. A son was given. Thank you, Lord, for loving us dying for us. Thank you for this time tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.